Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, y'all. It's Ashley here, just popping in with a life update. My little boy is almost three months old already, and as of this recording, I am on my first week back at work. It is definitely bittersweet. And I have so many thoughts and experiences that I can't wait to talk about on the podcast soon. I pretty much spent the last few months texting Katie ideas for future episodes. I want to talk about things like women and pain and the ways we reinvent ourselves when we go through major life shifts. And I definitely want to talk about how in the world do I raise a feminist son If you can't tell, I am so excited to come back to the podcast, which should be in just a few short weeks. So before I sign off, I get the fun job of welcoming our newest patrons. A huge thank you to Lee Schott and Linda Todd. We are so grateful for your support, and we're glad you're part of the Kindreds community. Just a reminder to all our listeners, your support on Patreon helps us cover our production costs. And becoming a patron comes with really fun benefits like access to our Kindred's Facebook group and the chance to nominate a Kindred of the moment. So visit patreon.com slash kindreds to become a patron today. So that's it for me. I'll talk to you soon. Today I'm talking with Reverend Dr. Carrie Jackson. She is an author, speaker, social healer, and leadership coach, among other things. She's written five books. She's got a master's of divinity. Um, She's an ordained minister. She has a PhD in social ethics and a law degree, which all of that just kind of makes my head spin. Um, She's currently the executive for religious leadership and advocacy for the Religious Coalition Free Productive Choice, which is how I got to know Carrie. But she's also worked in lots of different movements and organizations, bringing hope and healing and joy to the struggle for a more just and compassionate world. Carrie, welcome to Kindreds. I'm so very glad to be with you, Katie. Oh, I am too. Both Ashley and I think the world of you, and I know that she would love to be part of this conversation. She's just wrapping up her maternity leave. So I feel I feel very grateful that we get to have this one-on-one time together. We've been wanting to have you on Kindreds for quite a while, um, and we weren't totally sure what we would want to focus on because there are so many different conversations that we could have. Uh, But we thought that you might be really helpful for some of our listeners who have shared with us um, that they have some frustration or pain around not being able to find a spiritual home, uh, a physical home for them wherever they are right now. And I'm wondering if you have any wisdom that you can share any reflections on that unmet longing for that some of us have for connection and community and that we just can't seem to find it. So what do we do when we feel like we can't find a community or a place where we belong? Well, I'm really delighted that this is the conversation we're having. And it is a deep passion of my heart because throughout the years I have met so many people who fall in that category that you're talking about folks who are frustrated at not being able to find spiritual home and 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 I have to say this there are lots of people who are a part of a spiritual community who still have the same longing and frustration um, but they have made themselves settle for this space that they're in um, and what anchors them, and I have heard many people say this, is the experience of community and family that they have within those, those spiritual homes, even though spiritually they're not receiving the full measure of, of what their, their souls long for. And so if, if we look at those who are searching and those who've given up search, we're we're talking a lot of people. We really are. And I think for me, one of the things that's really critical is, is what Christian and, and other traditions as well, what happens when things transform from being a spiritual movement to being a spiritual institution. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that gets lost in in that movement. And the richness 
of the spirituality is really in the movement it, itself. It's the people coming together with something that's fresh and new and something that uh, really moves into those dried spiritual crevices within their hearts and, and within their lives. The institution can't do that. And institutions often act as if that's what they're doing because they have all of the the form of that. Um, and, and there was a scripture that I grew up hearing often in the Pentecostal church that I grew up in that said, having, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And I grew up hearing that and and, you know, as a little child, I understood that just because something glitters spiritually doesn't mean it is gold, you know, just because it glitters, because it has the pomp and the circumstance and the incense and the building and, and all of those kinds of things doesn't mean that it has the richness of, of what it is people are really longing for. And my mother said something years ago uh regarding a marriage of a family member we were she and I were talking about and she said that um it it was not a marriage but a mirage mm, that's a good play and on I, words right 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 that was that was my mom she even in her years with dementia she kept that kind of of um creative sensibilities but I find that happen often within the context of spiritual community. It looks like it's this thing that people are longing for, this institution, but it's not a, a real spiritual marriage. It's, it's, it's a mirage. And, and being able to discern what's real and substantive from that, that's a, a photocopy of it is is really important for folks and discerning what's most important i think many people have been socialized not to either not to know what they need spiritually or socialized or i'll say and or socialized to believe that what they need spiritually is not the right thing Mm. and so you know, there was a woman I, I was counseling uh, some years ago who told me that her father said to her, I'll tell you what you want. Oh. And, um, and I think that is often the case with who we are spiritually, that there are religious leaders and religious institutions and dogmas that say to, to us, I'll tell you what you want. I'll tell you what you need spiritually. Right. And, and that's one of the things that causes people to go longing and lacking for years and years and years saying, well, I should want X, but my heart is, is really, you know, wanting Y. And is there something wrong with me? Why I, I want X. Right. And, right. Is that a lack of belief or a sinfulness? That's keeping yeah, you yeah. from having the quote-unquote right desires. Yes, yes. And, and I think that's really, that's something that pains my heart. Because mm. uh, I know I had some profound experiences as a young person when I was in the process of making a spiritual commitment. And I was in a context where folks were, expressing and experiencing God in a particular way. And that wasn't really working for me. And so I thought something was wrong with me. You right. know, I thought it was because of sin in my life or I wasn't right. faithful enough or, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and what happened that really changed my life, changed my life. I was 14 years old. And I was in church. It was a youth conference, and all of these young people were worshiping God in 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 the way that is um, characteristic of Pentecostal charismatic experience. And I wasn't feeling anything. Mm. 
can. So I thought something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But what I did was walk out of the church. That was the most courageous step spiritually that I had taken up to that point in my life. Wow. And when I did, I experienced God in a life-changing, life-transforming way. I was standing outside by myself, and I felt as if I were ushered into the very presence of God. I didn't have that experience of, of that ushering when I was in the particular context I was. It was only when I stepped out of it that I experienced what it was that I needed. What that opened for me as a young person was an understanding that we can experience the divine in a variety of ways. And it is not for one individual or group to legislate for others how they ought to have that experience. That God is big enough to come to us in a variety of ways. And so over the years, you know, I was 14 then, you know, I'm a a couple years older than that. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) (laughs) Just a a little. And uh, that's wild. That was almost 50 years ago. That that blows my mind. But what, what that helped me understand was that I had the right to say what isn't working for me and still be in relationship with the divine. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely transforming for me. And there have been so many other of those kinds of transforming experiences through the years. And, and so that's really what I say to folks is if you're already part of a spiritual community or you're not, if spiritual community that you're a part of is not satisfying your spiritual longing, but it is satisfying something uh, emotional in terms of community and things of that sort, uh, to acknowledge what you can get there and then open yourself to look in other places and in other ways for for some of the mm-hmm. what you might need in that moment in your life. Yeah. And, and I say in that moment in your life, because that also changes. You know, right. I had a rich period of time um, before I started seminary. And I think, you know, Katie, I didn't start seminary until I was 40. And um, I was late bloomer. Um, but it was a really rich time for me before I started seminary for a good year. I was attending my Christian church and in the mornings on Sunday mornings and then Sunday afternoons and and other times in the week as well, I was sitting with a Buddhist community. Mm. Now, if I were only doing what was prescribed by my, my spiritual home, I would not have allowed myself to be open to and explore and experience other things. And, and that really, that combination of doing the uh, Christian experience and the Buddhist experience really met a deep spiritual need within my life. And, and so I say exploring lots of different things to see, because you know within your own spirit when there's a resonance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love going to Shabbat service on Fridays. Mm-hmm. I, that I, I love. I love sitting in prayer with um, within Muslim communities. And I love singing and experiencing Kirtan from the Hindu tradition and, and all of those kinds of things. And um, I think because just as the Creator made these varieties of flora and fauna and and animals and and human beings and the, there's also this variety of of spiritual expression that can enrich us and 
to be open to see what resonates, I think, with, with a person's spirit. And it may be within the tradition that someone is a part of, and it may not be. Right. Yeah. It, it seems like there's, there's almost two things that would be helpful. One would be for, for individual people to accept the limitations of what any one institution can offer and be okay with that and say that there might be some things I'm getting and other things I'm not. And that doesn't mean this community, that there's anything wrong with this community. It's just not meeting every single need that I have. And there might be other places for me to look. And also for the institution to be honest and authentic, that not that it can't provide every single thing that every single person needs. And I don't really see either of those things really <laughs> happening, especially when I think about kind of my my youth, like you were describing. I grew up in a really evangelical community, and I also experienced the same things that you were describing, where I so wanted to be in the community that I almost forced myself to believe yeah. I was having an experience. But I think deep down, deep, deep, deep down, there was something about it that just didn't quite resonate. But but I wanted mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. I wanted to belong so much yeah. that I was willing yeah. to repress that. And I think it wasn't until I was exposed to other ways of being. And for me, that was really studying theology in college where I got to read about other Christian thoughts and found the things resonating with my spirit, just like you said, that I got, oh, there was all of this available to me and I just didn't see it. And my reaction was to actually be quite resentful about what I felt like had been kept from me. That was that was how I felt. All of this knowledge, all of these different ways of thinking have been kept from me. And whether or not that was <laughs> the intention, that was certainly how it felt. So I wonder if if some of the people that listen to our show might be feeling some of that resentment about maybe they uh, acclimated or acquiesced when they were young people. Mm -hmm. And now they're not willing to do that. And that means that equals loss of community for them because they can't participate in those institutions anymore. Um, And I think for a lot of the people who listen, they're based in the South where there isn't always the availability of a more progressive faith community or inclusive faith community. And so there's, there's really no place, uh, physical place that they can go. Uh, and I, and I think too, um, you know, just speaking as a parent, we have some listeners who are parents. I think that's another area yeah. where they yeah. really wonder about how do I provide a spiritual home for my children when there's not really a church or a faith community that we feel comfortable going to. I'm wondering if you've, if you have any thoughts on that, how people can provide that kind of um, spiritual education or exposure to their children if they can't find a physical community to go to. Yeah, and and I'm glad you, you keep saying physical community. Um, I don't know if you've talked on Kindreds about the explosive growth of online spiritual communities, um, that there are over a million people who are connecting with churches and and other spiritual community online because of the issue that that you're speaking about. And it does not provide um, the kind of connection that happens in physical space, but it it does provide connection. And, And there are growing numbers. Uh, And my last count last year, because I haven't looked at the data in a couple of years. So a couple of years ago, there were over a million people who were connecting um, with spiritual community online. And some of those people, that's their only spiritual community. Others, it is a supplement um, that they might be a part of something um, in, in the physical. But as you're talking about folks who live in areas where it hurts your spirit to participate and to hear the kinds of theology that may be expressed in in some communities. And so, which is true, because sometimes even having sense of community and family can't be enough 
because the theology that is preached and practiced is so oppressive. So many people say, I have to forego the kind of of personal connections I, I have there because it, 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 it just wounds me mm-hmm. too much. And I don't want my children exposed to, to that. Right. And so one of the things that I've done the last 15 or so years, um, I pulled together when I lived in New York, uh, what we called Center of Spiritual Light. And it was intended to be an alternative space or and or supplement for some folks, um, for folks who are really hungry for that, which their uh, spiritual institutions, and I'm using that word intentionally, that their spiritual institutions were not providing for them. And we had lots of people coming um, for weekly gatherings, and then sometimes we would have retreats and, and workshops and, and things of that sort. Um, I'm not doing that as much right now because my uh, role with RCRC keeps me hecka crazy busy um, <laughs> traveling across the country. Um, but it is something that is very passionate to my heart. And, and so I encourage people to do what early church communities did. There, there were home churches. You know, for years I led Bible studies and I thought uh, Bible study groups in my home. And we had, you know, 20, 25 people in my home every, every Friday evening. And for several years we did that. And so I really encourage folks to pull together a group of like-minded people and they're there. They're often quieter about it in certain contexts because the environment, the hegemonic um, perspective in the environment might leave people to be somewhat um, quieter about um, who they are spiritually and but, but you will find those people. Uh, we led a, a workshop last week in Cincinnati, Ohio, RCRC did. And we had people from Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio. And one of the participants in the workshop said, I found my people. Hmm. I've been looking for my people. And I know that sentiment is something that so many folks have. Where, where, where are my people? And so starting small, you know, in, in your home, um, because many of us have been taught if it's not led by somebody who's professionally trained to be, you know, yada, 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 you know, like me with all my degrees and, and ordination and all of that. But home spirit, home-based spiritual community, is really important bringing people together even if it's five folks right there's a it, it's like a, a salve on a wound coming together with people who are ready to experience the bigness of god and because you know god is like is huge to me and can't be wrapped up in any one spiritual institution because God is bigger than all of those institutions. And and I think for people to really accept that truth within their own hearts, you know, God and whatever name, you know, some people say goddess, some people say divine universe, whatever bigger than any name we can use and bigger than can be codified in any dogma or represented in any spiritual institution. And to own that truth, I think, really helps folks be more open to say, well, you know, this is really, I I need more and it's okay for me to have more or I need something different and it's okay for me to have something different. 
Would you share with folks some ideas if they were to find a group of people, maybe it's five or 10 people and and they come together. I think some people might feel a little intimidated about leading a group like that. So what, (laughs) what ideas do you have about when that group comes together? You know, what, what are some things that they could do to kind of get this moving? What are some easy things they could do to get the conversation going? So it doesn't just turn into, I mean, it could just be brunch or dinner party or whatever, but this is, they're talking about more than just, um, community this is about kind of talking about the things of life so are there yeah, what are some yeah. things they could do well i think one of the things that is um a low-hanging fruit if you will is to use music mm-hmm. i love doing this with groups and talk about music from any genre it doesn't have to be you know what we call sacred music but it can be that or, or a love song, you know, romantic song, whatever, and say, how do you find God in this song? Yes. How's that? And, and what experiences have you had this week or in the last few weeks that why this particular song is something that really resonates for you? And, and one of my favorites that I think about often and I sing in different groups is ain't no mountain high <laughs> yeah that for me is is god's love song right to me. oh i love it cannot be contained cannot I, no barriers no no there's nothing that will keep me from you babe now that that's how i hear god singing mm. to me no wind no rain <laughs> no winter storm you, i love you know, it yeah but, Having people, you, because that's something, you know, as I say, it's low hanging fruit. Most of us listen to music, sing mm-hmm. music, even if, you know, we have voices that people wouldn't pay to hear us sing, but, you know, we, we sing. <laughs> and, and using that, bringing it into conversation to talk about why is that one resonating for you? What have you experienced? What is the longing you have? Because maybe, maybe you haven't heard God or seen God in that way. Ain't no mountain high enough, but maybe that's the longing in your heart. Um, Maybe there's something you've been through that you wish you were able to hear God saying that. And and it's really looking at things like that. Yeah. Um, I love that. Could I, uh huh. Sorry, I was just going to riff off that for a second, just because I've been thinking a lot about, have you been following the Beyonce mass in San Francisco? I know about it, but I haven't been following it. Well, it just, it made me think of it because I've been, I I was commenting on it that, um, you know, there are a lot of critics, of course, because people think that it's a worship service worshiping Beyonce, (laughs) but it was really about using some of Beyonce's music um, instead of, of hymns and things. And so I was just... I I, th- I find it so interesting when people um, are so just taken aback by that or saying it's heretical. And to me, that's just so sad because we are then putting limits on the ways in which God can speak to us. And I also think that there's a lot of yeah. racism and sexism there that people don't like the idea of a worship service yeah. centering around a black woman's yeah. art. Yeah. So it just made me made me think of that. And um, I've gotten some really interesting uh, tweets from men when I when I said that I thought it was a really beautiful thing and that spirit can speak. And of course, I got all kinds of tweets, as you might imagine, in that kind of conversation of just the I would imagine so. the fear of anything that's quote unquote, you know, not secular, not um, not sacred. And I think who gets to decide what's sacred and what isn't? Um, I don't think that I get to decide that. Not for someone else. That's right. Because that's right. Sacred is an intention flows from intention. That's right. And I also just feel like spirit can speak through anything. Yeah. That's the mystery. We can't put limits on it. You know, one would say, a bush isn't sacred, but then when the presence <laughs> is experienced through that bush, 
this is holy ground. This is a sacred experience. And, and it really is about intention, which is why, you know, for me, using all kinds of music to enter into sacred experience, you know, Diana Ross and the Supremes, many would say that that 1960s song is not a sacred song. But when I bring it with intention right. into conversation, or even if I'm not in conversation in a group, but if I bring it in intention within my own thinking, it's a sacred song and it's a sacred experience. And uh, and I'm I'm delighted that um, you know people are are pushing uh, with regard to the the Beyonce's music. I'm delighted that people are moving forward with that. And I, I'm grateful for the folks in the Episcopal church that lifted that up. That's just amazing. And it's very San, very San Francisco. It is. Um, <laughs> and, and those who, as you're talking about the sexism and the racism connected um, or, or reflected with that in very unconscious ways. And, and they're, some who, who say, you know, God is a black woman, um, and and what would what would the world look like, and how would we understand Christianity if if people, you know, turned it on on its head in that way? Because um, God is a black woman, and God is a, um, a, a an Indian man, and God is transgender, and and that's right. God is all, you know, and and that's that's really exciting to me, and. Um, so, so in small groups to have those kinds of conversations, to be able to talk about um, par- the the joys and the challenges of parenting and, and where do you experience God in the midst of the joys and the challenges. And um, so, great. I like that. That's a great suggestion. Get a group of people together, turn on a music, let people take turns sharing the songs yeah. that they that mean something to them and and share about it. That's I think any of us could do that, right? That's a very you know easy low hanging fruit thing to get going. I love that suggestion. Yeah. Um, and then people can build out from there as as they're in that intimate, vulnerable connection with one another. And 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 I I say that because. I believe part of what is lacking in most spiritual institutions is the honest vulnerability that for me is very spiritual and very sacred space and and, and sacred work. And most spiritual institutions don't create the kind of atmosphere and environment for that. And so then people go away still feeling something's missing. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of, of, uh, of small groups. You know, some mm-hmm. um, churches have formed small groups because they recognize people need those kinds of things, you know, affinity groups. And, and then they have, women's ministry and men's ministry and and but sometimes those things get so institutionalized as well they do that the longing that people have to meet god in one another um that that gets squeezed out and so that's that's really exciting to me when people um have what i call namaste moments where the divine within me sees and honors the divine within you. That's right. And and if we're not promoting those kinds of experiences, people will go away with great frustration and great longing. Hmm. I agree with that. And the, the other thing I would say, and you've touched on this, but if if you are going to start something on your own that's not institutionalized, hold on to it very gently because things yeah. will shift and change and yeah. they may fizzle out as life changes, as you said. So I'm someone who gets really attached to 
things that I create. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I say that I don't, but I there are some times when I, I really do. And I think it feels like a failure when something doesn't uh, continue on. But trying to just say, you know what? Energy cannot be created or destroyed and it will shift somewhere else. And this, if this wasn't the place where the energy was, like there, it will pop up somewhere else and try to just let it, I'm saying this mostly to myself because I had a parenting group that was really <laughs> vibrant last year and then just kind of fizzled out for different reasons. And it, it felt like a failure that it went away. But I think in the, in the moment, I mean, that was around the presidential election. There, there was a real need for us to come together mm-hmm, as a mm-hmm. community. And I think it's just different now. And so thinking about, I, I guess I'm mostly speaking to myself, but maybe other people, if they've tried something and it hasn't quite worked, um, don't be discouraged from trying something again. And I'm so glad you you raised that point because um, that is so much the orientation that many spiritual institutions in, instill in us. Uh, and, and one of the things I've said to congregations that I've served in for years is that we are tent people. We're all on a journey. And, mm-hmm. and because we uh, build these edifices, um, that often the spiritual understanding of being tent people gets lost. We, we get anchored in in the building in, and in the, the static when God is is calling us to the, the dynamic, the evolutionary, the, the, the ongoing change. And I say this to, to you and, and all listening, summer, the season of summer does not say it failed when it gives way to fall. Mm, that's good. That's why we want to have Carrie on because <laughs> she says stuff like that. <laughs> That's right. You you know, and what you described about that group had a very real season. That's right. Mm -hmm. That met people's needs in that season. And, And so it's not about failure. And, you know, same is true. People say, oh, you know, had a failed marriage. The, the only failure is if we don't get from the experience what it was offering. Right. Its ending does not connote failure. It's the not getting what it offered that that's the failure. And so if that group met a need during its season, that is just amazingly awesome. And and so I, I do emphasize that, as you're saying um, to folks, if something has a season that's three months or, or three years, it, it doesn't, or 30 years, the thing is for it to have its season and for it to be vibrant and alive and really meeting people's needs in, in those seasons. And people will take away from the group what they experience there those seeds are planted and, and nourishment is given and, and all of that, the people then get to take into other contexts. And that's, that's just amazing to me. Oh, that's so good. I think that's a great place to transition. But before we talk about what we're reading, cause I can't wait to hear what you've been reading. Where can people find you on the internet? If they want to learn more about what all the great things that you do. I have a website that is drcarriejackson.com, and that's D-R-C-A-R-I-J-A-C-K-S-O-N, and that's the best place to go. And um, I'm, I love, I, I'm, I think I've said to you before, I'm in my final 30 of my, my, my final third of my life, and I'm just enjoying it. I'm grateful for the first two thirds and all the learning and growing that have positioned me for the learning and growing that I'll, I'll get to do now. And um, just excited. I'm so glad to be alive and glad to be alive in this era. Um, Mm. There's a different spirituality that's possible in this era that was not possible 
in my first third or even in my second third and, and to be here to see this emerging and that I get to be a part of it is just one of the greatest joys of my life. It, it really, really is. And, and I am honored to see more and more people who say that something isn't working for them. You know, we right. can have a hashtag me too about spirituality as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, to say, no, boo, this is not working for me. And, um, you know, let's be honest about it. And and unfortunately, um, so many pastors I know and rabbis I know, it's not working for them either. Mm. Oh, yeah. When it's wrapped up in your livelihood, that's that's a whole different ballgame. Wow. So courage, this is, this is a season, I think, of, of spiritual courage to say what does work for me, what doesn't work for me, and that God is big enough um, for me to, to experience in a variety of ways. And that, that's exciting to me. That is exciting. So we'll see it as an opportunity, and we'll, wait, we'll see, wait with some um, expectation of the unexpected things that might happen as a result. So we always talk about what we're reading uh, and what we're listening to. So is there something you'd like to share with our listeners that you've been reading or listening to lately? There is a manual that I'm reading. And that might sound like an interesting thing to lift up. (laughs) But this is called the Report and Analysis on Religious Freedom Measures Impacting Prayer and Faith in America. It is the effort of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation and the National Legal Foundation and Wall Builders pro-family legislative network. These are very conservative, religiously and politically conservative groups that have come together that have developed a a how-to manual for presenting measures in state legislatures that are framed around religious liberty But what they're really about are religious exemptions um, to oppress people. That's right. Oppress other other faith traditions often or people who don't hold their beliefs. Yeah. And so I'm reading this and the the thoroughness with which this has been developed. um, They've been developing this over the past several years and and they are really looking at how to impact public policy in ways that create a Christian supremacist um, nation state. Mm-hmm. It, it really is about Christian nationalism. I am excited to be a Christian. I'm grateful that that's my particular spiritual journey. Grateful about that. And I love being a part of a pluralist society where all people get to bring and and express their their faith traditions. There's something profoundly spiritual about pluralism Mm -hmm. because it helps me experience the bigness of God. Christian nationalism does not do that. That's right. And um, so I'm, I'm reading this with, um, I'm studying it to learn more how particular things are being framed. And, and from this manual, um, about 20 different model legislation is being um, promoted across the country that relates to uh, LGBTQ individuals, that relates to um, 
reproductive lives of individuals that relates to um, having religious symbolism in public space and you know and and those kinds of things and so it's it's fascinating reading and um so if any of your audience would would like it i'll be glad to send it to you katie and and you can get this to them because i want to get it in in the hands of as many people as possible we can is it available um online for people to read yeah okay so we can link to it It in the show notes and we'll put a description again of what is religious freedom, right? I mean, that's the conversation is what does it mean to be free to practice your religion, but also freedom from religion um, yeah. and freedom from uh, Christian supremacy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, this goes without saying, but maybe we should say it anyway, which is a lot of the legislation that claims religious freedom is about limiting the rights of women to make decisions about their reproductive lives and um, against LGBTQIA plus community from getting services that they need. And, of course, anti-Muslim. So, and it goes yeah, on and on yeah. and on from there. But it's really about marginalizing people who are already marginalized under the, the ruse of, quote unquote, religious freedom. Indeed. <sighs> so that's, that's my reading of, of these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and thankful for your for your legal background, which we didn't talk about today, but um, you just bring so many different perspectives and knowledge to the table. Um, you know, I think that having a perspective like yours is really important because you can read some of the policy stuff in ways that maybe some of some of us who don't have that background, we might not see all the nuances. So I'm really grateful for mm-hmm. your analysis and your diligence in reading up on this. I think I probably would not have given it a second thought had you not brought it up. So <laughs> <laughs> we have to stay awake, right? Um, so yeah, I have quite a different um, thing to lift up, which is I just finished reading Cecile Richards' book, Make Trouble. Oh. Standing yeah. up, speaking out, and finding the courage to lead. So she wrote that. Um, she published it just before um, retiring from Planned Parenthood, where she'd been in leadership, I think, 16 years or so. And um, I got to meet Cecile Richards just once. I made a, a total fool of myself because I was just so um, in awe of her. I tend to do that when I meet people <laughs> who are <laughs> in, <laughs> who are famous. But uh, I really enjoyed her book, I, I learned a lot about her mother, Ann Richards, who is governor of Texas. Um, but yeah. I also really appreciated her talking about raising three young children while she was doing labor organizing and uh, just kind of traveling around Texas with her three kids. She she had she was pregnant with twins, I think, when her mom was running for governor and had another young daughter already. So it was just as a parent of a young child, it was I'm always trying to figure out how to do this activism work while raising a child. And, and she really just, she just did it. (laughs) Of course she has, you know, some years between when that was and now, but um, it was just really interesting to read about her life. And um, of course her dedication to standing up for reproductive health rights and justice um, for so long and, and, gosh, testifying before Congress for how long, um, <laughs> you know, as they as they just pummeled her with questions and how she kept her composure. So uh, I really enjoyed that book and we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. And to close this out, we always have our kindreds of the moment. And I know, Carrie, you had an organization that you wanted to share with our listeners. Yes. And that is Coalition of Immokalee Workers. Um, that's doing incredible work lifting up the reality of abuses happening for farm worker women and and men. And they in particular have been focused on uh, Wendy's um, fast food chain, um, really asking Wendy's to, to join so many other fast food companies in looking at the kinds of abuses that are happening uh, to to farm workers. And and Wendy's has been um, resistant to that and have um, made, I think they wrote a statement saying, you know, we support um, justice and, you know, but they didn't put any meat in it. They, They have not taken any action with the suppliers 
that uh, Wendy's uses, and there have been um, sexual abuses that have happened for many of the people, mostly women, but some of the men as well. And uh, when some of the Immokalee workers talked about Me Too, then Wendy's accused them of trying to, um, you know, co-opt. But the reality is those things are happening. Those sexual harassments and, and and rapes, et cetera, are, are happening in the field with people who are simply trying to, to earn a living and no accountability um, with the suppliers of the foods that Wendy's is, is using. And so I've not been, yeah, I, we, we've got to keep, um, keep talking about all of those things. That's really good. And I wrote uh, a little bit about migrant farm workers in my manuscript, Women Rise Up, um, talking about Ruth as a migrant farm worker. And, um, you know, there's a part where Boaz, who owns the fields, tells the other workers not to bother her. Um, But she was vulnerable to the very same things that women working farms are today, which is their they have no recourse since a lot of them are undocumented. So whatever they experience on the job, I mean, they have no way, uh, no, right. no legal way of seeking protection. I mean, they could be deported um, and then you know, lose their income. So I'm really inspired when folks still find ways to gather together and and to resist. Um, and the Mockley farm workers have been doing that for for so long. So thank you for lifting them up. We'll be sure to link to their website so folks can learn more about what they're doing and get involved. And Carrie, thank you so much for being on today's show. It was such a, it's such a delight always to talk with you, but I'm really excited to share our, one of our great conversations with other people. So I can't just keep you to myself all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a joy for me to, to, uh, sharing this conversation with you, and I'm I'm delighted that you and Ashley decided for this to be the topic um, because I think it's such a critical, critical topic, and I I just long for people to experience the depth and the breadth of the divine as as transformative and healing in their lives and. So I I just love this conversation. So thank you. Well, and thank you for that lovely benediction. I want that too. That's what we want for our our listeners and for everybody. So thanks again, Carrie. It was a delight. All right. Talk with you soon. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 